Let us stand together and let us hear God's call to worship, which comes to us today from Psalm 111 and the first four verses. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright in the congregation. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them, full of splendor and majesty in his work. And his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. The Lord calls us to worship and the Lord greets us as we enter into his presence. Does so with these words. Grace and peace unto you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Our first scripture reading this morning is from Psalm 110. Psalm 110, uh, be reading through the seven verses, if you want to follow along uh, with uh, this reading. Psalm 110, the word of God, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power. In holy garments from the womb of the morning, the dew of your youth will be yours. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. He will shatter chiefs over the whole earth, over the wide earth. He will drink from the brook by the way. Therefore, he will lift up his head. Thus far, the reading of God's most Holy Word. Now we want to turn to the book of Hebrews in the seventh chapter, the letter to the Hebrews. We will read through the 28 verses and we will be particularly looking this morning at the verses 20 to the end of the chapter for our consideration. Let us give our undivided attention to the reading of God's most holy word. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. He is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness, And then he is also king of Salem, that is, king of peace. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life. But resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. See how great this man was, to whom Abraham, this patriarch, gave a tenth of the spoils. And those descendants of Levi who received the priestly office have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people, that is from their brothers, 
though they also are descended from Abraham, by this man who does not have his descent from them received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. In the one case, tithes are received by mortal men, but in the other case, by one of whom it is testified that he lives. One might even say that Levi himself, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. Now if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek rather than one named after the order of Aaron? For when there is change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one of whom these things are spoken belong to another tribe from which no one has ever served the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah and in connection with the tribe Moses said nothing about priests. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek who has become a priest nor on, not on the basis of a legal requirement according concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. For this witness of him, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set beside, aside because of its weakness and usefulness. For the law made nothing perfectly but on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. And now our consideration this morning. And it was not without an oath, for those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins, and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests. But the word of God of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Thus far, the reading of God's most holy word.
remember as a student in seminary an assignment that we had in a particular course on counseling which required all the students to one day a week, I think it was one day a week, at least for a certain time, to go to the local hospital and essentially be assigned to a particular floor in the hospital and walk down the hall and knock on the door and go in and visit people. People we've never met before, knew nothing about, uh, etc. It's kind of an interesting experience to say the least. But I remember one particular occasion of walking into someone's room and an individual had just been, was there because he had been shot in the lake in a, in a gas station holdup. And he said, I'm really glad to see you because I need somebody to talk to God for me. And so the reason that stuck me is that he was reflecting the classic thought that we need some sort of help. We need somebody that we ourselves can't, but somebody else must come and get to God to listen and to provide for us. Now that's not totally wrong. Sinful man cannot come before God. What this individual did not understand, of course, is that we do have someone. We do have someone by whom we can come to God, and that someone is Christ. The concept of that aspect of the work of Christ is that of Christ as our high priest. Heidelberg Catechism number 31 asks the question, but why is he called Christ? The anointed. And it talks about his threefold office that Christ is both a prophet and a priest and a king. So we want to look at the idea of these offices and this morning zero in on his work as priest. What that means for us. Christ was appointed and he fulfilled the office and it was appointed to an eternal office of priesthood and he actually through that work accomplished the salvation of his people now the author of the book of Hebrews Hebrews is a bit of an interesting book as you can tell by simply reading the chapter that we read this morning but Hebrews goes through some length to demonstrate and particularly in this section the importance of that office, that Christ is our priest. However, the distinction is very important as well, that he is not an Old Testament priest, in the sense of the Levi priesthood, but he is a priesthood after the order of Melchizedek. We'll have some more to say about who this guy Melchizedek is. But what is clearly instituted by God as he gathered his people in the wilderness and brought them at Mount Sinai and then had them build a tabernacle which would be in the midst of his people. And you may remember, I think it was last fall sometime, we looked at the last uh, verses of Exodus in which it literally talks about God moving into the tabernacle and into the Holy of Holies. And that the whole tabernacle system, 
the whole system of sacrifices, the whole system of the Levi priesthood was all there for the purpose as a shadow, as a type teaching us something about the Christ yet to come in terms of the work of the priesthood, but also particularly to notice that through this it made it possible for God to be with his people. So the priesthood of Christ, just as the individual who said, I need somebody to talk to God for me, the priesthood of Christ has to do with our ability as sinners, covered by the blood of Christ, to come into the presence of the Holy God. That's the order of the priesthood, which Christ, which God had ordered through the Levitical uh, laws, the uh, descendants of the tribe of Levi were set apart. No one else, only those could be the ones who would fill that office. And they would have to always make sacrifice for themselves. And then they would carry out their office. And when they died, the next generation would continue to fill that office. Keep in mind the whole concept of office is very important here. The Catechism, as I said, mentions the name of Christ as the anointed, that is the idea of being inaugurated, being ordained, being put into a particular office. The idea of office is that it recognizes someone in terms of the, the task that is before them and that they've been given a particular task. If you're elected a certain office, you've been given a task, you've been authorized to do it. In the New Testament, we speak of the office of general believer along with the special offices. But as believers, we belong to Christ. We are members in his kingdom. We are authorized to serve as members in his kingdom. So the first consideration here is how then did Jesus become a priest? Keeping in mind that the biblical qualification for being a priest in the Old Testament was to be of the tribe of Levi. Jesus was not. He's of the tribe of Judah. Now, the ordinance by God in the Old Testament provided, as indicated, that these priests could carry out the service in the tabernacle. And there's a lot that goes with that. But these priests were exactly, as we said earlier, by means of God's commandment, God's ordinance he had put into place, so that there would be the weak men in themselves, sinners in themselves. They had to always sprinkle themselves first with the blood of the Lamb. But they were there so that there could be a people of God, and God could be with his people, and then ultimately to point forward that Christ would be the one who would ultimately fulfill that place. But the author of Hebrews says now that the actual Lamb of God has come, that ordinance is no longer needed. It's not that God changed his mind, or that God uh, that a certain law ordinance of God becomes uh, changed and no longer effective, and God thinks there's something better. That certainly would not be the case. But it's been fulfilled. And the office now is one of not new people coming and going, dying, and then someone else has to fill it. It's an eternal office. And that's the point 
with Christ being appointed priest, not by just an ordinance, but by the oath of God. As we read of that oath as well in Psalm 110. The core of what this issue about an oath is all about is that God, who does what he says he will do, has eternally established a priest, a means for you to have access to God. That oath is actually taken by God in the covenant-making ceremony that we find with Abraham in Genesis 15, where all the animals cut in half were laid out, and God passes in between them, and by doing that, taking an oath, a legal contract that will, that will stand up to scrutiny of court and all of that, where God who swears by himself that when you fail to keep the covenant, which we all do every day of our life, God has given one who is going to keep the covenant for us. That is Christ. And God took that oath. Jesus, by direct appointment by God, is your priest, the one who fulfills. He is the one who conquered death, does not himself die. He remains forever your priest. Now there is a second reference. We need to get back to this guy named Melchizedek. He's kind of an interesting character. Jesus, in distinction from the priests of the Old Testament ordinance, instead he is a priest according to the order of Melchizedek. There was an account in the Old Testament with Abraham, Abraham's nephew Lot, and many with them have been captured from some kings. And then Abraham took up the sword and his servants, and they went after those kings, slaughtered them all, and brought back all the goods. And he gave a tenth to Melchizedek, the king of Salem. Now, it talks about Melchizedek, and that he is without beginning and without end of days. He is without father or mother, without genealogy. Now that does not mean that Melchizedek is some sort of God that didn't have a beginning or an ending. Not at all. He is a human. But the emphasis is upon the opposite of the Levi priesthood. Because in order to be a priesthood, uh, a priest in the old system under Levi, you had to have genealogy. You had to demonstrate who your parents were so you could say that you're qualified. Melchizedek doesn't have any of that. So it's the sense of he is forever a priest. Not one that comes in, does his task, and then he's gone. Christ is your priest because God provided for you to have a means by which there is an absolute. And that he is yours forever. And that you can, in the name of Christ, come to God and stand before him. Not for a time, and then you need to find someone else but forever. That's the emphasis that we have upon the certainty and the reliability of the priestly work of Christ. Now I indicated that the office, office means there's a particular task to be accomplished. Christ is not just a friend with whom you can talk to. 
Yes, we can we can commune with Christ. But he fills an office. And there is a task. We read that because he is unchangeable, after the order of Melchizedek, but notice the simple statement regarding the purpose or the task. He is able to save. He is qualified. He is able to save. The office of the priesthood of Christ to be the Savior simply states that he has redeemed us, the way the catechism puts it. In that office, he has redeemed us and ever lives to make intercession for us. In verse 22, we read, in the ESV, it states it this way, this makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The King James uses a word which uh, some of you who deal with um, legal aspects of, of mortgages and those sorts of things, he uses the word a surety of the covenant. What is a surety of the covenant? So consider this scenario. When someone, perhaps one of your children, wants to buy a new car, and he goes to the bank, and the bank says, fine, but your dad's got to sign the loan. You can make the payments, but your dad's got to sign the loan. What's that all about? He becomes the surety of the mortgage. So that if the teenage son or daughter defaults and is not able to fulfill the agreement, guess what? Dad's going to have to take care of it. It guarantees the mortgage. It guarantees the oath. When we stand before God and we fail to meet that requirement as God's people according to the covenant, we have a surety, we have a guarantee not just <coughs> someone that we can look to help us with a little bit. We have a guarantee that God has given to us with absolute certainty that that what we owe to God in terms of our failure, in terms of our sin, <coughs> excuse me, Christ has fulfilled. It will continue to make intercession. Literally, literally, Every moment that you do something, and we do it every moment of our lives, which is not in total agreement with the law of God, Christ stands before the throne of God and says, this person's sin is covered. Because I covered it on the cross. When God made covenant with Abraham and through Abraham with all his people, he took that oath. He took upon himself the guarantee to make the payment. Christ is the surety of the covenant. Christ is held accountable and will make the payment which you owe to God for your sins. It's a guaranteed by oath. Not just to fulfill an ordinance so that we continue to go through the 
the process of the sprinkling of, of the blood of an animal and so on, but now we have the actual salvation taking place. And it is a certainty. It speaks to the core of what the gospel is all about. It is a certain promise by grace, unearned, undeserved, nothing to do with whether we have earned some, some points with God in any way whatsoever, or because he responds because we've come to him and asked from him. But it's because Christ, God has given Christ for the surety of the covenant. Notice the distinction with the current priest and the qualification given for the task. Verse 26, For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest. You see, all of the priests in the Old Testament themselves had a problem with God. Here we have a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those Old Testament priests to offer sacrifices daily. His one sacrifice is sufficient. He is himself God. There's no fallen nature. And though he has a human nature as the Christ, yet he is just, and he's not just the best of us, he's not just a good leader, he's not just uh, someone that we can look to for encouragement. He is the Son of God appointed as the high priest. His sacrifice. His sacrifice simply gets the job done. explore that statement just a bit further he is able to save when Christ is presented to you in scripture he is never simply presented as a savior or as someone that may be available to you to assist you when you need help that was more of the idea of the individual that I spoke about. Rather, he is presented to you as the one, and listen carefully, who has, who has saved you. The response to this Christ is not one of, wow, that's really great, what a good resource. I better make sure I take advantage of that resource. And see how he can help me. No, rather his response, I believe that Christ has saved me. I continue to look to Christ to help me in my faith to embrace that salvation. You see, the emphasis is upon the accomplished and the finished work of Christ on the cross. He is able to the uttermost. Without any shortcoming, without any doubt, without having to do it again next year or the following year, He is able to save to the uttermost. Total salvation. There's nothing left. There's nothing left for you to look at in your life and say, well, you know, I've done pretty well and Christ has helped me a great deal, but yet uh, I'm still a little bit short. I hope I'm good enough to come and do the prayer. No, it's done. 
It's finished. It's complete. And it's sufficient. There's a song that says he became sin for us. He took the blame, bore the wrath. We stand forgiven at the cross. All because Christ is the high priest who has saved to the uttermost. Not only salvation, though, even to the uttermost. The catechism says, yet ever lives to make intercession. Remember, he is the high priest forever. He continues today and day by day as your high priest. You have an open avenue, specifically in terms of your life to God. When you struggle, when you wonder, where is God at? As the psalmist often voiced there, Questions, and we all do from time to time. Where is God at? Where, where's, what's happening around Him? Christ makes intercession for you before. Yes, you can go to God through Christ. You have one that will speak for you. Now, I want to be very careful here. The idea that you have the eternal, excuse me, the eternal priest making intercession for you does not mean then that you can just go out and sin. Well, hey, why not Why not just not worry about it? And every time I sin, there's somebody who's going to cover for me, and I'm just fine with God, so no big deal. No. When you have that priest, when you know and have confidence in his eternal work in which he got the job done, it means that you now have a close relationship to God and your devotional life your worship life your all of life is a life of service and joy what does it mean if that you are truly believe and trust in Christ as your priesthood there will be in you an unsatiable an unsatiable desire to draw near to God and enjoy that relationship because we have a high priest, not only in worship, but in every moment of your life. Christ, as ongoing priest, will draw his own. It is because of his work within you. If that work is there, if you are truly one who, who looks to Christ for that, as that priest, then we desire to draw closer to Him every day, to put away the sin in our lives, to take advantage of this priest that we can call upon every day, to understand salvation in terms of the office of Christ as high priest is indeed a picture of understanding the fullness, not just, well, it's great, I'm saved, someday I can be with the Lord in heaven. Certainly it is. But understand the fullness of what it means to be saved and to be under the grace of a loving God moment by moment. When the individual that I visited in the hospital those many years ago, he was right that everyone needs somebody that you can go to to talk to God with. What I suspect is he did not understand the full implications of the avenue to God provided by God 
and the office of priest, which is given to us in Christ. I trust it is what you see this morning, that you stand before God, first of all, forgiven at the cross. The sacrificed blood of Christ on the cross is sufficient. It has covered. Salvation is taken care of. And further in the status of forgiven before God, you are indeed before God. Not just, well, God is so angry at me because of this this past week or whatever. You are before God, period, through the high priest, Christ. You are experiencing fellowship with God. Your heart is right with God. Nothing is more important, more satisfying, more exciting than coming into the presence of God in worship and living your life every day before God. And so please know, please know you have a priest who has saved to the uttermost and has given you life with God. Let us pray. Lord, we do pray through our Savior, Jesus Christ. We do acknowledge the need that we have each day for Him as High Priest. We need His intercessor so that as we stand before God, our sins are covered, and yet more so than simply the covering of our sins but the reality of new life in Christ given to us each day anew because Christ the Savior has poured out his, through him we have poured out upon us the blessings of God in all of our life. So we pray, O Lord, that you would strengthen us, that you would keep us, yes, that you would cover for our sins and that we might grow to know you more and more each day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.